need to change to be better. It's something we're all going to be able to accept. And so the problem you've got to face there is you don't want to staff where they're thinking, oh, this is the flavor of the month. Don't worry, it'll be gone next month and he'll come up with something new. But we we created a environment and a culture where we were willing to take a risk and go do something. If it didn't work, we were going to change things. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Expert. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Jeff, and I'm going to say Hague. Is that right? Hague? Hagee. Hagee. I was like, is it Hague or Hague or Hagee? So Jeff Hagee. <laughs> And uh, Jeff is just as a quick introduction. So um, started out doing a, a bit of everything, and we're going to talk now about how you start out doing a bit of everything, and then how you have to shift to kind of a bit more of a delegation model because you're not able to as much as you want to as a startup. You're not always able to do everything yourself, or at least not be successful in doing so. Um, also, talk a little bit about uh, creating a team and how you have uh, members of your task or members of your team take over some various tasks. Maybe talk a little bit about networking and things that you shouldn't be doing if you want to build a network and things maybe you should be doing. Um, and also uh, being open to flexibility and change, training uh, team members to, uh, to on uh, management or how to manage change and uh, creating an entrepreneurial mindset with employees. So it should be a great and uh, exciting discussion. And with that, I'm excited to welcome you on the podcast, Jeff. Hey, thanks, Devin. Appreciate it. Yeah, um, I'm excited to join you again and talk about all this. Um, do you want me to go in and talk a little yeah, bit about my background? Say, maybe uh, before there. we talk or jump into the topic at hand, if you could just uh, reintroduce. So for those of you that haven't uh, or heard uh, Jeff's uh, episode on the Inventive Journey podcast, definitely go check it, check that out and hear more about his journey. Uh, but uh, for those of you that haven't caught the episode or saying, hey, I don't have time, I just want to get to the expertise, maybe take a minute or two and just introduce yourself a little bit about your, your background and uh, why you have experience in this area. Yeah, awesome. So what I currently do, I'm a peak performance coach, success coach, work with entrepreneurs, high achievers, athletes um, on a lot of areas, on their businesses, on everything, but mostly to help them develop their peak performance to be successful in the areas they're in. But taking a step back, I look back and, um, you know, I graduated from school with a focus on entrepreneurship. That was my major. And I went a few different directions. I had an excellent job offer at a bank and didn't take it because I was a professional rodeo cowboy, wanted to go that route. But I ended up eventually going back into the banking industry, which was incredible because it gave me a lot of opportunity to, in my mind, continue my education because what I did day in, day out was spent time with entrepreneurs, working with them on the financial side of things and learning their businesses, which was really cool. But it also gave me the opportunity to manage people. And so continuing to learn from there. Um, then in 2005, I left the banking industry and started my own manufacturing company. Uh, we were manufacturing, manufacturing artificial stone veneer, um, the fake stone that you see on the front of houses and fireplaces and whatnot. And it was an incredible experience um, going from a startup of strictly being a manufacturer, 
um, expanding that. That was in Southern Alberta that we started that in 2005. In 2006, we opened another factory in Utah. And you know what's happened in the real estate industry since 2005. We've had a number of up and downs. And so we had to pivot as a company a number of times and change directions, do different things. And so it's been a really incredible experience learning um, about entrepreneurship, about business, about leadership, all those things throughout that whole process. And so, yeah, it's, uh, there's been a lot of different experiences and then you add in the coaching and being able to go through different people's businesses that way. I've got a lot of experience in these areas. Well, that's a, that's a great introduction and great, uh, great, a lot of experience that I'm excited to discuss with you on. So with that, without further ado, diving into a bit of the, the topic at hand. So um, one of the things that we talked about, which I think is difficult and for a lot of startups and small businesses, and I know it was certainly harder for me, I've gotten better at it, but I don't know that I'm awesome at it, which is the idea of delegation. So a lot of times when you start a startup or a small business, it may be you, maybe one or two key other individuals, founders, co-founders, but usually you start out small, you're having to wear a lot of, a lot of hats. And you love, or at some point, if you're, you're being successful, you're going to get or go beyond the ability to, or to cover everything yourself or within the current, or current team. And you're needing to look to bring people on. And But your trade-off is always, well, yeah, but if I bring them on, it's going to be more work to train them. And I'm going to have to manage them. And I have to, you know, they're not going to do it as well as I am. And it's not going to get done. And so you always kind of have this hard time of delegation and yet it can stifle a business. So how do you kind of shift from, as you build a team to first of all, building the team, but even more so is to delegate. So you don't really bring on a team member, do twice as much work because you're micromanaging them and still doing all the work. And it's really not being that beneficial. So how do you uh, build that team that you can delegate to? You know, that, that is a tricky thing to juggle. Cause like you say, as an entrepreneur, you're usually wearing a million different hats and where I struggled the most was what you had mentioned is letting go because well, I can get someone else to do it, but they're not going to do it as good as me. They don't know how I do this. They don't know how I do that. And I just don't have the time to train them, you know, all those things in the back of my mind. So when I started, started my manufacturing company, that's exactly what happened to me. I got to a point where I couldn't continue to do everything myself. You know, I was overseeing the manufacturing. Most of the time I was actually in there doing part of the manufacturing. I was taking care of the orders. I was taking care of deliveries. I was basically everything. And there was just a point where that couldn't continue. And so I really struggled with making that handoff. Fortunately, I had someone really good at hired at that time that I was going to make that handoff to, but I still really struggled with it. And probably the biggest part was that whole concept of they're not going to do it as good as me. They're not going to do it right. I'm going to have to fix things anyways. But really the gratifying part of that was when I got to that point where I had no other choice, I had to make that handoff. I did it and it didn't take me very long to not only find out they weren't doing it the same as me, or I would say as good as me, they were doing it much better. And a lot of that came down to the fact that it's what they were focused on. They weren't just taking part of their focus and putting it towards those certain tasks. It was where their focus was going. And so instead of putting a percentage of their attention and focus and effort on those certain tasks they were putting all of it there and they did really well at it and that was really kind of an epiphany moment for me I guess because it made me realize that 
if we wanted to grow, if we wanted to be successful, I had to put the right people in place that I could trust to do those things that I could hand off those things and not worry about. And, you know, through, through the years, I've hired great people. I've hired terrible people <laughs> and um, fortunately more great people than terrible people. <laughs> yes. Fortunately, there's been um, more on the great side and I, I have been lucky. I've had some really incredible employees and one of the things I'm a strong believer in is, you know, hire slow fire fast because you've got to look at it as, Hey, this is my business. If they're not the right fit, dragging it out, isn't going to help the business. It's going to hurt the business. It's going to hurt morale. It's going to set a precedent. So you've got to really take a look at those things. And I guess that's one of my philosophies too, because of experience. Yeah, and, and I'm a there. I'm a firm believer. Now it's much easier said than done. I'll give it to that in the sense that most of the time you do most people, and I'm I've been guilty of it in the past, is you tend to hire fast and fire slow. In other words, hey, yeah. the you know, things are on fire. We need somebody to take this over. We can't get all the orders out. So let's find a warm body that will fill it. No, they'll be easy to train and then oh, they're not doing as good, but we need to give them a bit more time. And oh, they, they got these things and they're not, but it's, you know, and it's it's one of those things where you keep making excuses because it's not fun to fire people. And contrary to what it is on TV or, you know, how you think it is when you're in that or that, that uh, seat and you're having to let someone go that you just brought on or that, you know, that, you know, have a, a family or kids and you're saying now they have to go find a new job. It's not a fun thing, but on the other hand, it, it, it pull or it hinders your business. So I think that that one, you should be taking your time on the front end so that you're hiring the right people and you're not having to let as many go. But two, if they're not a good fit, it's a disservice to both ends. They're not going to enjoy it. They're not going to prosper. You're not going to be happy with them and it's not going to be a good fit. But now, uh, before, I wanted to circle back to one of the other things that you hit on, which is, you know, I, I'm by far guilty and I'm still guilty to a degree. I've gotten better at it. Of, of letting or delegating out and a lot of times I still probably think that given the time and resources or time and bandwidth I could probably do things better than most of my employees now don't take it wrong I think I have great employees but I always still have that and I think that's the entrepreneur mindset is I can always do it better otherwise you would have never right. started your business but one of the things that I found is that even if that were true and I'm not saying it's always true some of the times I've brought people on and said you know what I have somebody that's on our team that's in marketing and they do an awesome job at design, making things look you know, aesthetically pleasing and just have that design. And I'll look and say, yeah, I just can't do that as well. So I've had those where I've been certainly proven wrong, but even for the ones that I've been proven right, where, hey, I could do it more if I had, I could do it better than them if I had the time. If they can do it or 80% as well as you and it frees you up to your time to do the things that they nobody else can do as well as you, whether it's sales or marketing or client relationships or building the business or having the vision or direction, you have to take that step back and say, even if they're not going to do it as well as me, they're still going to do it to a level that is good for the business and allows me to add more value to the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you were talking about that, what I was thinking is exactly what you ended with there is yeah, you, you might be right that you could do those things better, but is that where your time is most valued? Because I, a lot of the clients I work with have this exact situation is, you know, I, I can do that better. I've got it hired out right now. So should I take that over? Okay. If you take that over, where are you taking time from? Yep. Is that more valuable? And that's usually the case. If you're working on the most valuable things that you can be, that, yeah, maybe it's not going to be, like you said, it might not be that 100% of what you could do, but 
if you can be putting your effort and time into the more important things, then it, yeah, it's worth it. No, and I think that it, it's a hard lesson to learn because it, it is one where you have to just let go of it because sometimes you're like, ah, oh, if I did it, I would do it differently. And, you know, there is that and one thing I'll say, and, and then we'll move on kind of a, another area that I, I definitely want to shout you on. But I think that sometimes you do have to take enough a level of training and spend some time. And there's always that investment when you bring someone on. But if you train them to kind of know what you want, know what to expect, you, you know, that oftentimes brings them up from that 80 to 100% plus is now that they are doing it how you would do it. You have ten, spent the time to infuse that knowledge and then you, it makes it easier to delegate. Whereas sometimes you hire fast, you don't get, you give them five minutes of training and then you expect them to do it exactly how you would do it or better. It's not a fair setup. So I think that you do have to understand with delegation, it's not just turn them loose, but you also can't just micromanage. So it is that balance. One of yeah, the other absolutely. things that we've hit on and uh, is that, and I think is definitely valuable to all businesses and it's so hard, at least for some people, and it's so hard for me, um, is on the idea of networking. And, you know, sometimes it should, or, you know, you approach networking and you think, oh, first of all, I have to go to all those activities and where it's, you know, it's not as much with COVID, but certainly before COVID was, hey, I have to go to the networking events where all these people are getting together. All they're really doing is everybody's getting together and pitching their, their services or their products. Everybody else is pitching their services and their products. And nobody's really listening to each other because they're so busy, but it's the way that you network, right? And I hated those and I didn't like doing them. So with that, you know, if you take the kind of the topic of networking and how you should or shouldn't be building or how you should or shouldn't be doing it, any thoughts on that as far as how you should be ingraining that both within yourself and within the company or with the employees in the company at large? Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, there's so many networking events that in my mind are useless and they're not beneficial. Um, but at the same time, I actually was asked to speak at one recently. And what I spoke on, I think really brings this around is because, you know, when you look at entrepreneurship, whether you're looking at partners, employees, investors, customers, whatever it is, they're all people. You need people to operate and run your business because they're, that's, that's what it's all about. You're dealing with people regardless of what your product is, right? And so it is important to network. It is important to get to know people. Um, who was it? I recently, Bradley, I heard, heard him say recently, the more hands you shake, the more money you'll make. And I mentioned that on one of my podcasts and I actually got a few people commenting on that, that they didn't agree or they did agree because one of the things you said is it comes down to the quality too. You know, if you're network with someone that I'm just pushing what I do and they're just pushing what they do, there's, there's no commonality there. Right. And I think where a lot of the powerful network comes in is making connections through other people rather than, I mean, I've had a lot of success over the last few months, actually being a part of a group and going to some networking events that have really created some awesome relationships. But I'll share a story from this last year that happened for me. I had an opportunity that I met a lady that was working on some same, well, she wrote a book called The Confident Athlete. And I have a program called The Confident Athlete Program. And someone introduced the two of us and she lives out on the East coast. I'm in Arizona and we started doing a lot of communication, um, just online talking and we had, we hit it off and she shared a lot of valuable information with me. And she said to me, she says, I think I've got a few people I'd like to introduce you to. Can I do that? 
and I'm thinking, you know, she's going to throw out a couple names and maybe we connect on social media, something like that. Who knows where it goes over the last year. She's probably, I actually ended up making a list so I could track it, but she has connected me with at least 30 high powered quality people. And those aren't people that I would meet if I was just going to some networking event, trying to bump pebbles with people. These were high quality people all over the United States. In fact, out of all of them, I've only met one of them face to face because I was at a football game in Utah and I saw on social media that he was doing a book signing. So I went to it and we happened to meet in Salt Lake City. But otherwise, I haven't met any of these people, but the networking that she developed out of that has created a lot of partnerships, a lot of customers, a lot of different things. And so I think that's one of the areas is when you can network by helping other people, being a connector and finding quality connections like that, that's some of the most amazing networking you can do. No, and I think that that's absolutely right. And I, and I agree that, you know, you do have to get out. You're not going to, net, if all you do is sit in your office, you're never going to network and you're never going to make those connections. And I think that one of the things, at least that I've learned and right or wrong, and definitely love to hear your feedback, um, but is I think you have to be comfortable with the way you're networking. In other words, if you're getting out there and you do not like those big in-person events where you have hundreds of people there and you're trying to hold the, you know, hold the plate along with the drink and talk with someone and this is not what you enjoy, then find the ways that you enjoy. And that can be doing presentations. It can be doing webinars or getting online or joining Facebook groups. I don't know that it matters as much. Now, there are some that are more effective, but I think that first step of finding that network or how you enjoy and what you enjoy doing is of the is the best first step you can take of getting out there and doing something active to build your network. Maybe as you get involved on LinkedIn and you put out great content, you have good conversations and you reach out to them. Whatever it is, I think that that taking that first step of so shaking the hands, even if it's not in the you know conventional sense, is the best or is the first step you should always take. Yeah, I agree with that because you know I was recently at one in Scottsdale and it was an event that. Um, a friend of mine had organized and put on and I'd gone there to support him and to do some networking. And when it was almost over, I was outside uh, talking with him and someone had come out and was complaining about it, that it was kind of a useless event. And I mean, this place was crowded, it was packed. And so we just talked to him about, you know, why, why didn't you enjoy it? What was wrong with it? And he says, you know, no one came and talked to me, no one. And we said, you know, were you approaching people? What were you doing? He says, well, no, I just sat at my table, but no one came and sat down and talked to me. And so, yeah, there's, there's a comfort level going to an event like that. You know, how do you approach people? How do you start those conversations? So you're right. And for a lot of people, maybe that is a lot easier making those connections and starting those conversations on LinkedIn or something like that, because that face-to-face -face is more difficult. But I think too, you know, kind of going back to what you're, mentioning before i think the more quality of a network you can have is when you're not just looking to take when you can start those conversations and looking for ways and opportunities to help someone what can i give you how can i serve you overall i think the power of your networking is going to be a lot stronger
No, I think that that's absolutely right. And I think you hit on one of the things that I love is the mantra and have part of why I love uh, doing podcasts. One, I just get to hear a lot of cool stories. I get to learn a lot of things. But two, it's, it's a way that I am comfortable talking with someone one-on-one, learning more about them. And it also provides value. It gives them more exposure, expands their network. I'm assisting them in building their business. And so it's much more of that, hey, I'm providing value. And I'm not just saying, hey, come give me your business, but rather, hey, how can I help you? And how can I make the connection to learn more about you? So I think that finding that whatever that way is that is the better or that works for you that you feel comfortable with and then figuring out that way that is beneficial and be able to expand the networks and give to others. So I think that that is definitely some uh, great areas of advice and expertise. Shifting gears just a bit again, because I think there's a lot of fun things we can talk on. So I always like to hit on a few things. But one of the other things we talked about a little bit before the podcast was training a team to manage change. In other words, especially as a startup or small business, it should be the same for big businesses. Big businesses just tend to get more bureaucratic and move a lot slower, but change is always inevitable with a business. In other words, you should be adapting. You should be bringing out new products or new services or learning or expanding or growing or doing different things and pivoting because that's all part of running a business. And if you're not, somebody else is doing it and then you're going to get left in the dust. On the other hand, as a team member, as a team, oftentimes people get used to doing it a certain way and they get comfortable and they don't want to change. And I've even seen that within theirs. I, I love automation. I love systems. I love operations and, you know, figuring out how to make things optimized on the back end. And yet I'm sure there are team members that are just saying, oh, I, here's Devin with another system and here's something else we're going to have to learn and do something else. And I'm saying, yeah, but this will be so much better and it'll be beneficial and it'll save you time and it'll be better work product. And yet still, because they're comfortable with the way they're doing it before, you still have to get them ready for change. And so how do you kind of train team members to manage change and be uh, willing to accept and adapt and kind of have that entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, I think there's a fine line you've got to walk there, but I've had two very different experiences with that. When I was a bank manager, my staff, um, my entire staff were much older than me. Um, and said, in fact, one of my staff had been at that specific bank longer than I had been alive. And so they were used to things being a certain way and any changes were very difficult for them to um, really accept. And so I wanted them to get comfortable with change. So I strategically set about making changes bit by bit in small pieces on a regular basis to get them used to that. So when things did happen, when also we had to bring in a big change, it wasn't such a new thing and it, it worked. It was still hard. Um, you know, some of them I think will resist change forever. But then when I started my manufacturing company, it was something we wanted to be able to implement that. Yeah. If we need to change to be better, it's something we're all going to be able to accept. And so the problem you've got to face there is you don't want a staff where they're thinking, oh, this is the flavor of the month. Don't worry, it'll be gone next month and he'll come up with something new. But we, we created an environment and a culture where we were willing to take a risk and go do something. If it didn't work, we were going to change things. Um, an example was that was... At one point we said, okay, maybe some of our manufacturing, we can be more successful if we get um, manufactured white labeled by someone else. And we start, we did some manufacturing in Vietnam and brought it in. And, you know, we went all in, it was going to be a great thing. We had done our research. We felt really good about it. 
it turned it out turned out to be a disaster and so we did it and we're like okay no it didn't work so we're going to make the shift and change uh, we did that in a number of different areas we were always trying to advance what we were doing and become better but we were willing to step out of the box and if it didn't work go a different direction and so rather than just kind of having the flavor of the month we were getting everyone involved saying okay what do you guys think of this do you think it's going to work should we do it is it worth the risk try it if it didn't work get together again and go a different direction but they were definitely and i think part of change too a key thing you need to make sure you're including is communication and i think as long as you're keeping open communication and keeping everyone involved on why you're doing it how you're doing it all of those things um it makes the whole change process a lot easier and one of the things you said was kind of creating that entrepreneurial mindset and if you can in my mind if you can create a team of employees that has that entrepreneurial mindset that they're taking their job as a business whatever it is but they're gonna grow that part of their business then you're gonna have success and i think that's when if you get employees like that they can accept change because they know they're trying to whatever they're focused on they're trying to be the best at it and that does require change at times now i'll give it all one follow-up to that it is it is harder than it sounds to find their employees i think your entrepreneurial have an entrepreneurial mindset you can get employees that are very talented but are, are not entrepreneurial mindset. And I think it is two different skill sets. Now, if you can find them, they're worth their weight in gold because then they are willing to accept their, you know, that change. And they're not only accepting the change, they're proposing new ideas and they're coming up with different ways and they're providing those proposals. And then you're not always the one that has to figure out the new systems or come up with the ideas because they're that, you know, they're, they're wanting to, or they see the vision and they're wanting to do it of their own or volition. But I think you have to, one is I like the idea of kind of incrementally easing people into it or getting them used to change or getting them used to understanding that they're doing that. And I think the other one is to explain why there is that change. In other words, if all it feels like is you're knee jerking around and you're always doing something different just for the fun of it, they're going to say, oh, I don't want to have to do this. I don't understand. But if you can say, no, here's the reason why we're doing this. Here's the system in place. Here's why we think it's better. Here's what the outcome's going to be. Here's why it's beneficial to you and to the company. And then find those people that are entrepreneur mindset, find all that mixture of easing them into it, explaining them why, and then finding those that are already in, in it or like, or, or might are geared towards that change. Then I think you have a recipe for success. Absolutely. Well, look, we can talk for a lot longer on all these episodes, but I do want <laughs> to leave just a bit of time because uh, one thing that we are, and you're actually the first person we've had, we're introducing with, as part of the podcast series, one of my things, or one thing that I'm excited about, which is you get to pitch your crazy idea. So as a setup for the listeners, just because it's the first time we've done it, is a crazy idea is something that, you know, if you're anything like me, you have a whole bunch of ideas that always are exciting and fun and you wish you could go and do, and yet one, either don't have the extra the time, the money, the uh, bandwidth to ever pursue them, but you always kind of just wanted to go do them. And if you had the time and money, the bandwidth, you always would. And so it's always that kind of that crazy idea that sits out that you'll probably never pursue, but it's always fun to talk about. So where what we're doing is adding that as a bonus section to the podcast. And so we'll wrap up the normal episode, but if you want to hear Jeff's crazy idea, definitely stay tuned because it's a great one. So with that, before we jump to the crazy idea, and as we're wrapping up the expert uh, episode, if people want to reach out to, they want to, um, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? 
for sure. Thank you. Um, jeffhege.com is my website. So it's J-E-F-F-H-E-G-G-I-E.com. That's my website. My email is jeff at jeffhege.com. Um, but yeah, all of my programs, my trainings, everything are on there. Um, probably my two premier ones right now are the Confident Athlete program, which is jeffhagey.com slash confident athlete and my high achievers mindset secrets program, which is mindset.jeffhagey.com. And of course I've got uh, three podcasts. Love you to check those out and yeah, love you reach out. And I guess the other part where I'm probably most active is Instagram. It's Jeff Hagey coaching. All right. Well, definitely plenty of ways to reach out, connect and definitely encourage people to do so. Well, we are doing the bonus or the crazy idea question bonus or bonus section. But for all the listeners who are wrapping up and saying, "Hey, I've got to get back to work," and I or I've, I've just finished up my run, and now I've got to get or get to on with the rest of our day. Um, definitely appreciate you coming on the the podcast, Jeff. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. And now, as listeners, if you can make sure to click subscribe, make sure to leave us a review and share the podcast. I know that's a lot of things, but it will really help us out because we want to make sure that we're helping as many startups and small businesses to gain or gain the expertise and the, the knowledge that they can be successful. And on that note, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks or anything else, definitely feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. And we're always here to help. Just go to strategymeeting.com. So now with that, now as we wrapped up the expertise episode, I always I'm excited because this is kind of a new thing that I'm I'm really excited because it's it's just kind of a fun a time where you can pitch out that one idea that you've always had that's a crazy idea that's always out there that you wanted to pursue but maybe you haven't had the bandwidth. So with that, I'll turn it over to you. Um, what is your uh, crazy idea? Give us that you know couple sentences description and then we'll chat about it. Sure, you bet. You know, Devin, I'm I'm like you. Uh, those ideas are kind of nonstop going through my head, but when you asked me this, I'd actually, as I mentioned earlier, I used to rodeo professionally and I had just come from a rodeo um, watching my brother participate in. And so the idea that I ha had is as a rodeo cowboy, whether you're in a timed event or a rough stock event, when you get your draw and you know what animal you have in that rodeo, um, probably one of the things that the fans don't know is the cowboys know all these animals. And when they get their, get their draw, that animal is going to do the same thing it did at the last rodeo, at the rodeo before, at the rodeo before. So what we do as cowboys is, say, for example, I'm in the steer wrestling. We get to a rodeo and we know whose stock is there. And we'll say, okay, I, I drew steer number 23. What did it do last time? Oh, I, I've never seen this steer go. I don't know what he's going to do. So I'm asking the other cowboys. They'll say, oh, you know, last time it, it stopped or it, it ran hard or it ran left or something like that. Well, my idea is that cowboys need to jump into the current times and get an app for this. We need an app that um, on a subscription basis that you can enter. Okay, this is so-and-so's stock at this rodeo. These are the animals and this is what it did. And, and this is one thing, you know, cowboys share all this information. They don't try to hold it secret. And so it would be a shared app that people go in and say, you know, I had steer number 23. It ran hard, it went to the left, and then it stopped hard. Well, the next person that draws that steer, he looks at it, he knows what it's going to do. And that helps him in that rodeo. And then he can put his comments in and continue on that way. So there's my crazy idea. Hey, I like the crazy idea. I think it makes sense. Now, I'll tell you where I where I think you can even go one step further, which is, first of all, this is, I don't know that it's only for bulls or for animals, and I thought it would be cool. Right. You can expand this to a lot of areas. In other words, let's say you're a football player and you have a quarterback that always has these tendencies when you play against them whether it's professional high school or college or anything else 
And now you can say every time that you see this quarterback do this, you know that they're likely to do X, right? So maybe it's a pass plane. Every time that they step or take a step back, you know they're going to pass. Or every time they take a step forward, you know they're going to run or anything else. And it's kind of one of those that you're monitoring the tendencies of whether it's the opponent or, you know, in rodeo, I don't know that the bulls or the, or the, or the horses are the opponent, but that same idea of being able to track what they are. And I think that there's a lot of ability to, one, to get the notes from those that have done or have done it before so you can better prepare. And then two, it also kind of gives you the analytics of what you should be doing in general. If there is an example, every pool, every bull stops short and you find that out, then you should better track practice and prepare for every bull stopping short or whatever that might be. So I think it's a cool idea. Now you just have to go out and figure out how to implement it. So if you guys as listeners think this is a fun idea and you think it's a great idea and the best idea in the world and you think that Jeff should certainly go forward and do it or you think it's the dumbest idea and it's terrible and you should never invest in your money, what we're going to be doing is we're going to actually be as part of the podcast. We're going to be putting this up on LinkedIn as a uh, poll that you can actually go in and vote on. This is a great idea, definitely worth uh, pursuing and I would pay for it. Terrible idea, somewhere in between. So if you want to check that out and you want to support Jeff's great idea or you want to tear it down, hopefully be nice and tearing it down. Don't tear Jeff down. <laughs> Only tell him that the ideas are worth pursuing. Then definitely go on to LinkedIn and we'll uh, we'll provide that. So keep or if you go to the, my LinkedIn profile, just go to meetdevin.com and we'll provide some of this information as well. If you go to meetdevin.com, you can see the great idea, terrible idea. Go vote on Jeff's idea and uh, definitely will be a, a, a fun to see what the results come in at. Well, with that, as we wrap up, um, thank you again, Jeff, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure and uh, wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin. I appreciate it. <laughs>